Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the irrepressible Matt. Hello there. Hello, Matt. How are we doing? Wow. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've, we've got so much catching up to do, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it's been, uh, what, nearly 24 hours since we last saw each other. Yeah, for the first time in over a year, we spent some time together yesterday. Ah, and wasn't it lovely? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't talk about Doctor Who once, I don't think. No, I think we made a conscious effort not to. <laughs> it was like an, an unspoken secret, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. Uh, so for context, we, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is how we first met. Um, and yeah, I for for the first time in in a very long time, I got to sit sit in a garage, round a table with a bunch of nerds, um, and uh, yeah, just roll some dice and have a bit of a have a bit of a mess about. Didn't it was great. Didn't fight any dragons though, and didn't go in a dungeon. So <laughs> that's technically true. I mean, my character did fall in a hole. Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, is it worth saying what we're doing today? Uh, it probably is. I mean, listeners probably should know. I don't know who's tuning in for this as the first episode. If you are, you've made a terrible, terrible error. I think the listeners um, all know what we're doing because I left it so late in putting a message out asking for feedback that I yeah. think I've emailed anyone who's ever made contact with this show asking for their thoughts yeah we 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 screwed up by not mentioning a couple of episodes back that we were due to record our series 10 wrap-up episode Mm -hmm. so and because we record a bit in advance this this catches me out every time i never get used to it um but we kind of need to start gathering opinions in before we've kind of you know a, a week in advance of where you'd think we would, if that makes any sense. Um, like I say, I, I put a message out and just said, you know, we cocked it up. <laughs> Please help <laughs> us. But, and uh, did we get any responses back? Oh, we've got so many, David. Um, what I'm going to do is, rather than us have a dedicated part of the show where we read out tweets and emails, mm. is I, I've, I pretty much forewarned everyone the main beats that we're going to cover today. So yeah. for each of them, I've kind of chopped everyone's emails up and put bits into certain categories. So um, some people sent some really, really long emails uh, and mm-hmm. I might only read part of it, but I, I have literally read everything that's coming. I don't want anyone to feel I don't appreciate it. I, I've got five pages of notes on this document, so amazing. We're going to have um, a few talking points either way. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. Well, there's so much to get into. Not just series ten, as a, as interesting as that was as as an experience, but you know, we get to look back on Capaldi's tenure as a whole, the Moffat era as a whole. We are done. With Stephen Moffat. I know. That's huge, isn't it? So, you know, there's going to be lots to get into. Uh, But before any of that, we need to know, Matt, uh, what did you have for breakfast? What's your meal of the week? Um, 
it's going to be a controversial one for Meal of the Week. I just need to preempt okay. you on that front. Righty ho. Okay. Uh, for breakfast this morning, I just had a coffee. Just ah, a coffee. Keeping it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but my meal of the week. This is going to be controversial, David. I'm ready. I'm ready for because it. Because it involves Nutella. Oh, okay. I, I can't. Like, I, I've eaten well this week. You uh-huh. know, if you go back a few weeks, do you remember when I said, when I come out of lockdown, I'm going to have a Pizza Hut buffet? Yeah. Had a Pizza Hut buffet this week. Oh, congratulations. How did that work out for you? Uh I was full, but I don't know if I was satisfied. It's, it's mm. just pizza, isn't it? <laughs> um, but after last week and the unfortunate trip out with my mother-in-law, my wife and I yeah. ventured back to Pateley Bridge and yeah. went to the Pancake House. I can't remember if I mentioned that. But I had mm. some lovely pancakes with salted caramel ice cream. In fact, it was a waffle. It wasn't even a pancake. Right. Okay. So salt- Waffle, salted caramel ice cream. Yeah, like crunched up shortbread Ooh. and a bit of Nutella because it was like a millionaire's shortbread, you know, deconstructed right. on my waffle. And as soon as I ate it, I was just like, look, this is this is going to be my meal of the week, but it, it's got bloody Nutella in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've conceded defeat. I got in touch with Sam from Married to Who and just said, look, all right, uh, I've, I've had it. It's all right. It's my meal of the week. Just Nutella, it has its place. It's, you know, it's it's not the be-all and end-all, but it is there amongst the pantheon of great spreads, I think. I don't know. I, I don't like it on its own. It it was a component of my meal of the week. Yeah. Like, I still don't think I'm going to be attacking a jar with a spoon. Well, I'll tell you what, Absorbaloff would be quite happy to do that. Really? Um, oh, any time. We don't, we don't tend to, like, just have it out on the breakfast table or anything as an option unless, you know, we're prepared for that. Um, but if it is there, you know, if, if we offer to... Like for example, it we had it on the table because we had crumpets for breakfast this morning. Oh, this morning. nice! Um, I don't know, don't and... know how I feel about sweet crumpets though, David. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mm. be having Nutella on crumpets. Uh, it wouldn't be my choice either. But we knew it, w- it would be something he would be into, and he's a little bit under the weather mm. at the moment. So we kind of, you know, we wanted to just kind of let him have pretty much free reign. But um, yeah, any time we get Nutella uh, on the table. The first thing he says is, I need a little taste. Can uh, I have a little taste? So um, a little taste involves basically just him sitting with the jar and any implement he can find, just spooning it in <laughs> pretty much constantly <laughs> until we manage to wrench it out of his hand and, and replace it with an actual item of food. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little bit like that with my wife. I think she's cottoned on now. But if we have something for tea... Like, yeah. say, for example, a lasagna, or the other night I made a chicken pie. Like, when I've eaten mine, I'm like, oh, I might just have a little more. And I just have an mm-hmm. equal-sized portion. <laughs> just have a second helping. Uh, I, used to, I used to be much more of a seconds person than I am these days. I used to think nothing of seconds, but I don't, I don't feel, feel like I have the capacity I used to. 
No, there's only certain things. Mm. Like I say, lasagna is a big one for me. Yeah. Um, pizza is my real Achilles heel. Mm. I don't know when to quit with pizza. What if I told you about a thing called the Pizza Hut Buffet, David? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm more than familiar with it, and it, it's a problem for me. The poor girl that served me, she she was like, oh, there, there's your plate, there's your uh, there's your glass for the Coca-Cola machine, and here's mm. a bowl for your salad. And I was like, you may as well just take that away with you, love. Just <laughs> don't, don't waste my time with that. Uh, so what, uh, what about your meal of the week? Um... I had a pretty nice stir fry last night. Oh, nice! Not not exceptional. Like I I, I can I can go into details. Uh, for me, the highlight is I think they're probably a divisive item, but uh, water chestnuts. Oh, see, I think Love I think you're right. Chestnuts. Yeah. Well, that, because I mean, to be clear, that they have they have no flavour. Yeah. They they uh, in terms of flavour they are an absolute waste of time. But the texture I think is crucial. That they 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 elevate stir fry from maybe uh, it's not my favourite kind of meal. On average, I'd say a stir fry is about a six or a seven out of ten for me. You chuck some water chestnuts in, it's getting up to a nine automatically. Oh wow! Yeah, I I love them that much, and I don't know why, but it's honestly it's one of those things that's uh, it's been that way for me. Since I was like five years old, um. So yeah, that's probably it because it because I don't have them very often because they're quite pricey yeah. for something that tastes of nothing. Yeah, a bit um, bit bourgeois that for a stir fry. Yes, indeed. Um, but anyway, uh, well, whilst and whilst we're on the topic of food, yeah, that that would segue nicely into this week's would I lie to who, which is very much food based. Okie doke. Almost as if I hadn't planned it at all this week, and I did it about <laughs> 30 seconds before we started recording. Okie doke. Well, I'm all ears. Okay, so, this week, David, I'm going to present three foods to you. Okay. And one of them is the, probably the only food I absolutely refuse to eat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll try anything once. Yeah, but amongst this list is the one food that I hate above all else. And to be clear, so have you ever tried it? You've tried it once and immediately dismissed it, or is it that you've you will never try it? The reason it's on my would I lie to who this week is because it's the one thing that I always tell my wife I refuse to eat. I won't eat it. But seemingly every time we go to her nana's house, her nana serves them. <laughs> Great. Okay. okay. So I, I kind options. of have to eat my words as well as eating these. So, three foods, David, that, that I refuse to eat. Number one, wagon wheels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, cauliflower. Right. Or number three, fish, or in fact any animal that has a head still attached. <laughs> Okay, I mean, well, for one, d- don't don't serve fish with the head on. Yeah, that's not necessary. I don't want it I to look. I, at I agree me. with you. I don't like that. its accusatory gaze whilst I'm eating it. Yeah, that's that's a very old school thing as well. I feel like people don't really do that these days. Yeah, but you get but... you get a nice fish, wrap it in tin foil, and poach. Like, 
Well, you put it in the oven, don't you? But it kind of poaches itself. Yeah. It goes all flaky. Which is all well, all well and good, but just take the head off. Well, what's worse is when you've eaten the good stuff, no one eats the head. It's just no. left on the plate. It's it's a very strange choice that was made uh, at some point, I feel like, in, in maybe the 1800s or something. And uh, we, as a culture, I feel like we ought to have moved on by now. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway... It, it, it's not just fish, though. I don't like it if I walk yeah. past the like the Chinese restaurants, uh, certainly in Newcastle in Chinatown, where they have like yeah. the ducks hung in the window and stuff. Mm. Okay, so so of the three, that's the one that jumps out to me because that's the one that I agree with you on. Mm-hmm. But uh, talk me through the others. So uh, wagon wheels. For context, I think American listeners, you might know them as moon pies. Yeah, so it's like a biscuit mm-hmm. with marshmallow on and covered in chocolate. And just for argument's sake, it's not just wagon wheels. I don't like those marshmallow tea cakes either. Or You're not a fan of a Tunnock's tea cake? No. I like their caramel oh. wafers, but and I also don't like. Are they called snowballs? Where it's marshmallow wrapped in coconut? Yeah, it's desiccated coconut. Now they they lose me with the snowballs because I cannot stand desiccated coconut. Mm-hmm. Um, but but... I, I hate that fake marshmallow mm. cream. Just gloop. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the key to a to a wagon wheel is it's low quality biscuit. Low quality marshmallow, all wrapped in uh, low quality chocolate. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I, I just think now, if I'm if I'm going to the biscuit tin and yeah. I'm reaching blind and pull out a wagon wheel, that's like bullet to the heart for me. Mm. Well, you see, this is uh, I I will admit, despite having described it as you know, it is a low quality thing. They are not good on any sort of. Uh, Objective level, but I do I do like a wagon wheel. Uh, I, I I will have one if I, one is I've offered. I've never liked them, even when I was a kid. And I mean, a bit like we've discussed with your little one, where you just mm. eat any chocolate. I think yeah. even back then I realised I was above wagon wheels. <laughs> That's where you drew the line. Yeah. Um, okay, and cauliflower. I mean, I, I guess it is a divisive vegetable, but uh, what have you got against cauliflower? Why is it so white? Like, it just looks wrong. It looks <laughs> it looks like, kind of like broccoli, but kind of like a brain at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, no. And I don't like the flavour. What is that? It's like, it's like soap and farts combined. <laughs> like... Yeah, uh, it has its place. I feel like cauliflower. I yeah, won't. I it, won't. Uh... If you go to a nice restaurant and they serve mm-hmm. you a Sunday dinner, yeah, okay, and they put down the little tray of veg and it might have roast potatoes, maybe some boiled potatoes, carrots, mange too, yeah. and then you've just got this white aberration at the end. Just nah, nah, swamp it in gravy. It's fine. No. Same as anything else. I'll tell you what I'm dodging in that scenario, and that's the parsnips. Really? I cannot get on board with parsnips. I like one or two. I, yeah. I, I do agree that, you know, more than more than one or two, because their taste is so sharp and different. It's, it is deeply unpleasant to me. 
never been able to get my head around why anyone would willingly consume a parsnip. Um, just just okay, to then. give so, just to give uh, an, an underrated veg a bit of props. They like yeah. red cabbage. Oh yeah, especially pickled pickled red oh, cabbage yeah. is amazing. Mm. Um, but okay, so you've done well here, Matt, because not only are those three foods that are plausible in terms of somebody not being partial to them, they are also three distinctly nanarish foods. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a very hard time separating them. I think I'm more squeamish about... I think you'd be all right with a fish with a head on. You know, you're a man of the world. You, you're, you're not, you know... Uh, um, lily-livered pescatarian like me mm-hmm. um so I, I i don't think that would phase you in the same way um cauliflower it's harmless i think anyone can can kind of grit their teeth and and uh work their way through a bit of cauliflower for the sake of keeping up appearances so i'm going to say it's uh it's option one the wagon wheel right well I'm glad you thought they were good choices because they're all actually mm. three foods I cannot stand. Really? Yeah. Okay. But the one that I simply refuse to eat and the one that my wife will try and sneak in every now and again is cauliflower. Uh... I, I cannot stand it. Like, even looking at it, like I think I've got like a weird phobia of cauliflower. Mm. And have you have you ever had like a really good cauliflower cheese? Well, that that's what my wife shouts at me for when we go for dinner at her nana's. Because yeah. I'll help myself to cauliflower cheese, but scrape the cheese off the cauliflower and put the <laughs> cauliflower back in the bowl. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's shocking behaviour. Just so I can have a bit of cheese with my Sunday dinner. <laughs> no, that's that's you know that's not on, don't you, Matt? Well, yeah. But the thing is, I, like, there's some vegetables I, I cannot get enough of, right? Yeah. If, if I'm having a Sunday dinner and it's got peas and sweet corn on it, I, I'll eat that all day. Yeah. But then cauliflower, can't stand. Carrots, I'm not that fussed about. Munch carrots, you got, carrots, you've just got to do right. Yeah, munch I too, I can take or leave. I do like a bit of, like, swede or, like, a nice mashed turnip. Mm. But, yeah, veg is, like, the one thing that, like... And I know I have to eat it because it's good for you, but I'd rather eat loads of fruit than veg. Vegetables... The thing is, I think Britain as a culture has not valued vegetables, generally. I think we are quite bad at doing them. You know, the default preparation for pretty much any vegetable you can name is chuck it in a pot of boiling water, maybe sprinkle a bit of salt in. And and more often than not, overboil it until it's basically just vaguely minerally mush. That that is sort of the low end, and, and, and that's kind of historically how we've tended to treat our vegetables. But there are so many wonderful things you can do with them if you have the time and energy. And that's really the issue, is that vegetables, I think, take a bit more effort to make really nice. I'm, I'm growing some lovely winter veg at the moment. Growing some turnips. 
Oh, great. Grain some, some cabbage. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, I've got a tomato plant that refuses to die. And it's still got <laughs> tomatoes on it, but they're, oh, they're okay. yet to ripen. Congratulations to your tomato plant. Um, yeah, we've, we've been uh, yoinking a few tomatoes uh, from our garden recently, and they are... Oh, I, I don't think any... any... <sighs> There is any vegetable or fruit that with a with a bigger disparity in quality in terms of getting it fresh from from the garden or the farm or whatever, and what you'll get from a typical supermarket or even a greengrocer's unless it's a really high quality what, greengrocer's. What you want is a lovely, like pert, rock hard cherry tomato that when uh -huh. you put it in your gob and bite into it, it explodes. Yeah, like that. Is what elevates a salad for me. Yeah, and so and when they're just like so tangy and fresh and stuff, but you're very, very you'll you'll make occasionally you'll fluke it in a supermarket and you'll get something of that quality, but generally, just because of the nature of how how they are grown and how they have to be transported and stuff, you're never getting peak tomatoes from a supermarket, um, no. which is a shame. And they're so easy but, to grow your own as well. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that's probably enough food talk yeah. for our series ten <laughs> wrap up episode. We've you know we've done a solid what uh, twenty minutes. Yeah. Well, can I take us more off piste? Yeah, go on then. Okay. Well, I I think it's time to open our end of series presents. Oh ho! Um, so I I I, I do. Well, I was going to say I like to buy David a present for each of these. I think I've done it three or four times. Not me you have, but yeah. I mean that's that's three or four more times than is necessary. But, yeah. Uh, so this yeah. week I I wasn't planning on doing gifts until uh -huh. I stumbled across from HMV the nine pounds ninety nine mystery box. <laughs> Okay. Which uh, proudly boasts contains at least five items. So this this is a box, about the size yeah. of a shoe box. Yeah. That promises value of up to twenty five pounds minimum. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically the crap that HMV can't sell. <laughs> yeah. So they put it in a box, and you pay a little bit less for it. But there could be anything in here, David. There could be some Doctor Who stuff. There could. It, 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 I was thinking about this, the pro probability of there being Doctor Who stuff, uh, because it's going to go one of two ways, isn't it? Either it, because okay, so generally you may you may or may not be aware, Doctor Who tat peaked round about two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, height of tenant madness, uh -huh. and then early Matt Smith, there was quite a lot of stuff still out there riding that wave. By the time you got into the Capaldi era, almost nothing. And there's maybe been a little little slight uptick with the Journey with Aguria, but it's not been the focus, it seems. It's not we we are nowhere near that peak of when supermarkets would have like a like a display of Doctor Who action figures and you know, Toys R Us, which I mean I guess no longer exists, but when it did, you know, would have like a whole you know, half an aisle mm. of, you know, Cyberman masks and uh, and sonic screwdrivers and things. Um, so either 
we will get there will be if there is anything it will be like that landfill stuff that was made during maybe i would say mid mid period matt smith <laughs> they've never managed to shift um or there won't be anything at all because just nothing gets made really these days right so we'll agree if you get a doctor who item you win the week okay i'm not doing this every week but you become the champion so i've got my hobby knife i'm just gonna break the seal on my box Mm -hmm. i didn't come that prepared to be honest so i'm just gonna have to kind of pick away at it Oh, gosh. Well, there we go. You know what? Actually, it was easier for me to just do with my finger. Right. So, shall we alternate items? Let's do it. And I'm not... I'm going to flip this open, but I'm not going to look. Absolutely. So, I'll let you go first, since it's your gift. I'm going to pop it on the floor. And... Oh. Oh, got something that feels sort of ceramic, maybe. So, I'm going to... That's coming straight out. It is a Blondie mug. Oh, for the band Blondie? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oval shaped. Oh. It's a very strange shaped mug. I'm kind of jealous. Uh. <laughs> I haven't even seen what I've got, but if I put my hand in, wow. I think I may have something ceramic-y. So I'm going to take this out. I'd love it if it's the same. Oh, my word. This is actually something I'd quite like. What is it? It's a Legend of Zelda heat-changing mug. Oh, and I'm, it, I'm officially jealous. It's got a picture of... I'm going to open this up. So it's got Link on yeah. it. And I think when you add a hot drink, like, the villains appear. Oh, that's so cool. I, I, I'm actually... that's That might become my new work mug for the new school year. Amazing. I'm going to pop that back in the box. Well done. Right. Your turn. Okie dokie. Let's just have a little rummage in here. Oh, something feels sort of flat. (laughs) Okay, so... This is a Frozen-themed notebook. Okay. Um, The cover of it has little snowflake confetti that you can, like, sort of shake around. Oh, wow. Um, it would make a ten-year-old girl very happy indeed, I feel like. Oh, wow. Oh, I, I apologise. I misspoke. It's officially Frozen 2 merchandise, <laughs> if the uh, if the logo on the back is to be believed. Well, I've bought my... What am I on now? My fifth hardback notebook for this pod. So right. it's good to know you've got one now as well. Right. Ooh. This feels notebook-esque as well. David, I think I'm winning this week. Uh, What have you got? A House Lannister Hear Me Raw leather-bound, like, moleskin notebook. I I am so jealous right now. How are you doing this, Matt? It's got a magnetic seal... It says Game of Thrones. Yeah. In fact, sorry, it's not House Lannister. It's red leather bound, and it's got the emblems mm-hmm. of the Starks, Lannister, Targaryen, Greyjoys, and then on the back, it's got the house words. It says Winter is coming, hear me roar, fire and blood, and we do not sow. 
It's got a little map of Westeros in the back of it. Do you know what? I, it's because all my tastes are about five to ten years out of date. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, what about... I've, there seems to be a real disparity here. You know, I've so far I've got Blondie and Frozen 2, and you've got Zelda and Game of Thrones. It, it doesn't say it, but I, I did let you choose which colour box you wanted. I did, yeah. Do you think yeah, there's a did. boy box and a girl box? I, it's possible, I suppose. Maybe I've got a girl box. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't rule out the possibility of Doctor Who stuff, then. No. Because, so, you know... Do you want to go for your third item? Let's have a little rummage. Let's see what's... Uh, Okay, this is a small item. It's a key ring. It is a House Stark key ring. Oh, there you go. Hey. It's yeah, it's just got... Uh, it's got the... It's, like, embossed. It's got the uh, House Stark emblem on it. Is it enamel, or is it, like, one of those foamy plastic ones? I think it's a foamy plastic jobbo. But oh. that, that'll that genuinely go on the keys. Right. So, uh, I... That's the first win, I think, for that. Uh, right. The rest of my items feel paper thin. Okay. Oh, no. There's one here. Oh, do you know what? We've come full circle because I've got a Frozen 2 official key ring. <laughs> um, I believe it's... Is it Anna from Frozen 2? The girl with brown mm -hmm. hair? Not Elsa. Sure. Um, I've got them both on there. I couldn't tell you who's who. Again, it's kind of foamy plastic, and it looks like she's got leaves blowing all around her. Wow. Exciting stuff. I, I am slightly worried. Like I say, I struggled to pick that up because the rest of mine feel like just sheets of cardboard now. Uh, uh, yeah, same for me. It's interesting. I feel like we've gone the exact same order with these. There's a, there's definitely a pattern, isn't there? Mm. So I suggest we we pull them out together. Okay. Because I think these feel the same. So oh let's see word. what we've got. Oh my! <laughs> oh Christ! Right. <laughs> oh, okay. What have you got? What have you got? Right. I've got two. Uh, I'm just making sure there's nothing left in the box. I'm going to chuck that on the floor. Two of those, like, 3D holograph pictures. Uh-huh, yep, same, same. Right, one of, one of mine is SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes. And his associated characters just kind of hanging out underwater. Yep. Now, this one I'm curious about. Like, it is just printed on card, but again, it's one of those 3D images. Yep. And it is six women... Yes. Sat on what looks like the edge of a swimming pool. Yes, indeed. Have you got the same one, do you think? I've got the same one, and I am familiar with the image. Okay. It's a, it's a bit of a cliche, to be honest. Um, it's, been, it's been around for a long time. Uh, yes, yeah, so painted on the backs of these ladies is um, some Pink Floyd album covers. Specifically, going left to right... You've got uh, Atom Heart Mother. The second one, actually, I don't know that I recognise. Um, I'm not familiar with their entire oeuvre. Uh, you've got in uh, third along is Dark Side of the Moon, then Wish You Were Here, then The Wall, and uh, the lady on the end is Sporting Animals. Do you know what the second one is? No. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, 
So it's just, it it was a very popular poster design about I want to say twenty years ago. Yeah, it says Pink Floyd back catalogue. Yes, that's that's the uh, very very clever pun that they went with. So a bit of um, bit of like cat. I don't know. Would you call that casual sexism? Uh, well, it's a, I don't think I don't think they would have sold as many copies of that poster back in the day if they painted uh, painted the album covers on the backs of of uh, fat sweaty men like me. Yeah. Um, well, they have all got their bottoms out, haven't they? They have. Yes. Yes. Certainly. If you if you if you uh, are a fan of ladies' bottoms, there's there's you know. Did, Six of them. Did you also get SpongeBob SquarePants, or did you get? Any no, I didn't. No, I got distracted. Um, so the uh, the other one I got is uh, the Minions. Okay. Yes, got to love those Minions, haven't you? Uh, I I think it, it was a law officially passed about three years ago at this point. Yeah, bloody yeah. everywhere, aren't they? Do you know what? If if someone said to me, "Do you want this Game of Thrones notebook and this Zelda mug for ten pounds?" <laughs> I probably have said yes, but if they yeah, said, they... "But you also need a Frozen Two keyring and these art prints." Well, they're not even prints; these cheap images that you would win on Hooker Duck at the fair. Yes, lenticular holograms, I believe, is the official term. Mm. Well, they're terrible, I'll, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep yeah. the mug. I'll keep the notebook, and I'm sure those pictures are going to look absolutely lovely. Lining the inside of my dustbin. <laughs> it's some of this stuff is actually genuinely like the sort of thing I'd I'd consider donating to a charity shop, but I'm like, are they gonna be able to shift it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't just want to burden them. I'm quite happy with my Zelda mug. Um, yeah, you you definitely won. You know, the only thing I, I out of that that I I feel like I'm really gonna get any joy from is the key ring and ten pounds is a lot of money to spend on a house stock key ring. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying this is Twilight Princess Zelda. It does just say the Legend of Zelda. Mm. But yeah. Wow. That that can be my new mug that I take to work with me. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm racking my brains trying to think if I know anyone in my in my family who likes Blondie. It's a niche gift, isn't it? <laughs> it's, and do you know what? I think if, if you like Blondie enough that you would want a Blondie mug, you would have a Blondie mug. I I think so. I I I, I must say I I think uh, that would be the likeliest. Do, do you scenario. do you have a favourite Blondie song? <sighs> I only really know a couple of the hits. Um, what's that reggae-ish one? You know, I'm going to be your number one. That one. Oh, I know yeah. that. Yeah, tide is high, but I'm holding on. And, yeah, that's the one. And uh, is there one about a telephone? Yeah, calling on the yeah. telephone. There's uh, yeah. Heart of Glass, probably their most famous one. Which one's that, sorry? Heart of Glass. Can you sing us a, a couple of bars of that? Once I had love, it was a blast. Soon found out, had a heart of glass. I don't know whether I know that one. It's weird that I know the other two. Yeah. If that was, if they're not as big a hit. I mean, the first one I mentioned, my mum had on a compilation when I was growing up. Yeah. 
So that's the song that I most clearly think of when people mention Blondie. Um, I think for my favourite, I'd either go Dreaming or Maria. Two good songs from Blondie. Well done, Blondie. <laughs> you did some good songs. Yeah. Not enough to warrant your own mug, I would argue. <laughs> no, she did well enough to warrant a mug. Right. I don't know. All I right. think next time I'm in HMV, I might look at the, the different band mugs. See see who else has been deemed worthy. I mean, well, what... I, if you don't think Blondie is worthy of a mug, then you're setting the bar very high in terms of commercial I'll tell you success. What, I bet the bloody Beatles have. The, oh, of course. If they that do. was on my "Would I Lie to Who," which band can I not bloody stand? It would be the Beatles. You see, I don't hate the Beatles, but what pisses me off is people who, who act like they are the only important band. Do you know what I mean? I think I think a lot of my hatred comes from the Beatles, comes from the modern Beatles. Like Paul oh. Paul McCartney is incredibly. Just an awful human being. And so's Ringo Starr. He's he's become a parody of himself, hasn't he? Uh, though I do... I do love that. Have you seen that video he did a few years ago, like, telling people to stop asking him for autographs? Yeah. Uh, and my favourite phrase being, I'm warning you, with peace and love. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, off it, have you also seen the video of Paul McCartney where he's trying to push meat-free Mondays, where you don't eat meat on a Monday? And uh, no, he kind of halfway through forgets what he's doing, so he's like, <laughs> going, "Don't eat meat on a Monday, meat-free Mondays." I'm Paul McCartney, and I'm here to tell you, um, <laughs> Paul McCartney here, just to tell you. And it's just like, uh, I tell you what, uh, I like George Harrison. Some of his songs are all right. But the rest, oh my god! The thing is, they have all written some good songs, and the Beatles, as a group, have definitely they've recorded some stuff that I really liked. Um, but I'm an album person, and I don't think they ever made a start to finish great album. I'm I'm just throwing that out there. Come at me, Beatles fans. I, I I've never liked them. And, uh, one of one of my cousins is like, oh my god, oh my god, you have to hear this song by the Beatles. And I'm just like, look, have you have you ever heard of Meatloaf? Because <laughs> like, I know which one I'd rather be listening to. Yeah. Um. I, I, yeah. I mean, you, anyway, you pointed out. On. I was going to say you pointed out when we hit twenty minutes. We're now at forty minutes, and we haven't discussed any Doctor Who. <laughs> we haven't, have we? And <laughs> we do have a lot to cover. Um, shall we just get cracking on that then? I think we're going to skip non non Doctor Who TV highlight of the week. Yeah. Unless you've got anything major you want to talk about. Uh, well, last week because we talked about uh, Sean Locke so much. I didn't get the yeah. chance to say I'm really enjoying What If, the Disney Marvel series. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we'll have a chance to talk about that more probably when the series finishes. Yeah, we can catch up on it then. I guess if you want, I'll, I'll say it briefly. Um, I watched Disney's uh, Soul the other night. 
Uh, Disney Pixar. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, came out a few months ago. A, a wonderful film. Not a kids' film. Really? Like you could put you could put children in front of it and they wouldn't be traumatized by it, but they would get nothing out of it. It's basically two hours of existential philosophy interspersed with the occasional bit of slapstick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's brilliant, but uh, it's. Uh, yeah, unless you've lived a bit, I don't think you're going to get much out of the experience. No. But as we know, Disney Pixar's greatest film is obviously Frozen 2. <laughs> you know, we're, we're huge yes, fans. Huge fans. Absolutely. Um, okay, then. Right. Let us talk a little bit about Series 10, shall we? Mm-hmm. Sure, let's uh, let's do the, the, the usual grilling. Come on. I, want, I, I need to get into this. So... Um, Matt. Hello. You are, you know, uh, you are the giddy pig in this podcast. Yeah. You know, the experiment that this is. Um, and now what I need to know from you is now you've finished Capaldi's era. Where do you think the 12th Doctor ranks in compared in comparison to other New Who doctors, I I think he'll probably be your favourite. Okay. And I think I mean I'm kind of influenced by when I was reading people's emails, and I think yeah. the stance I'm going to take is the twelfth Doctor is not my favourite Doctor. Okay. But. I think Capaldi might be the best actor to ever play the Doctor. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that statement. I, I uh, think certainly does, of New Who. He does a brilliant job, but I still kind of preferred the tone of the show when it was Matt Smith. Yeah, that is totally fair. And to be honest with you, Matt, um, I, I've never been able to def- definitively say who my favourite New Who Doctor is because I cannot decide between Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely love them both equally for very different reasons. They, Matt Smith brought so much energy and joy yeah, to his performance. It, it was just more fun back then. Yeah. And we kind, of, we kind like, of got could... back to that with Bill this season. Yeah, yeah. I think what I like... I like the structure of the 12th Doctor's journey. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about where he starts and where he ends up and all the points along the way there, I think it is one of the most satisfying and complete emotional arcs for an incarnation of the Doctor that we've ever had. You compare it to Matt Smith's, which is just... Matt Smith's Doctor, it's more like... I don't know, every week they uh, run the Tombola machine and you never quite know what you're going to get. It's a lot more scattershot, I think, Matt Smith's run, with big highs, big lows, um, and Matt Smith always giving giving it 100% in every performance. Um, But I don't feel there's a through line in the same way as there is with, with Capaldi's era. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I can't. I, I honestly, I can't. I can't choose between the two. But what I will say is, they are tied for my favourite of New Who so far. Um, and uh, yeah, spoilers. That does include uh, Jodie Whittaker. I won't tell you where she ranks compared to those. But but I wouldn't be putting from what we've seen so far, and it's not really fair in some ways because. Her era is still ongoing, you know. She's got one more series and and a, a few specials to get through before we really get have the complete picture mm-hmm. of her era. Um, but as things stand, she's not edging out either Matt Smith or Capaldi mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but, yeah, Capaldi's performance is amazing. I mean, the monologues alone, you know, and, and episodes like, like Heaven Sent... I can't imagine any other... Even Matt Smith, I can't imagine pulling off an episode like Heaven Sent the way Capaldi does. No, and I, I don't want to spoil it, but when we get to the end, I've got a, a question about favourite moments. Mm. And I, I want to talk about one specific moment where I kind of really did fall in love with Capaldi. Excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Okay. So, Do you want um, some well, listener feedback on Capaldi? Yes, I would love to hear what our like, listeners Like I say, all our listeners submitted responses to this, but I'm, I've just picked a few out. So if I didn't pick you for this first part, you probably later on. I've made sure everyone's covered, don't worry. Okay, so Excellent. we will start with Amy. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello, Amy. She starts strong, David. She says, Capaldi is the best doctor. Wow. Or okay. maybe no, not pulling any punches. Or maybe I should say the best modern doctor, because what I like about him is that you can sense the past or the history of the show in him. You feel, mm. uh, you can feel the other doctors in him. I think. Also, he could be funny, scary, commanding, alien-like, sweet, angry, a teacher. He ran the gamut. Yeah, definitely. There is so much range in uh, his performance. Okay, got a couple of other points on Capaldi. Yeah. Okay, next one from BT Flibbity Gibbard. And what what's strange, David, is when BT Flibbity Gibbard emailed in. Yeah. Uh, because it was like a Gmail account, I could see their profile picture. And yes. It looked a lot like you, but older somehow, as if <laughs> from the future. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? So this is the curator, BT Flibbity Giggard, who says, Capaldi is my favourite modern Doctor and my second favourite Doctor overall, second only to Seven, because they got into Doctor Who through the Virgin New Adventures. For me, Twelve manages to straddle the line of being very much the Doctor while also being completely unique. Capaldi is an incredibly charismatic actor who manages to give even the shakiest stories amazing gravitas. An emotional weight, and he never phones it in. Twelve's character arc was designed to be a better version of Six's intended arc, and while there are shades of that present, it's been so much improved that you can barely tell this was essentially intended as a second chance. Twelve's mm. development is so wonderful, going from intensely moral but kind of a jerk to intensely moral and intensely kind. It's such a simple concept, being good is in the small things, the everyday things, as well as in the large things. But it's also so important and so relatable. Never be cruel and never be cowardly. And if you ever are, always makes amends. 
12 is just so genuinely good and I love him. Yeah. It's that it's that, that end point that you reach with uh, The Doctor Falls and Twice Upon a Time, the way both of those episodes really underscore the conclusions that this Doctor has drawn from all of their, you know, lived experience up until that point. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It, it, it's that, like, if you, you go back to the start of Series 8 and he's asking Clara, am I a good man? He's He's... He's thinking so introspectively, trying to understand the own puzzle of his nature, work out what he does, why he does it, what the purpose of it is. Um, and ultimately, he feels like he's cracked it. And it, it does come down to be kind. Mm. Um, you know, I do what you know, I do what I do because it is kind above all. Uh it's such a simple, wonderful message, mm. I think. Um, and I think it if you took that away, I think you would have slightly fewer people so willing and keen to just say, yeah, 12's my favourite. I think those last, that last run of episodes really cemented everything that makes his era so special. Mm. Um so, you know, the, the ultimate example, I think, of like, you know, that phrase, stick the landing. Yes. Moffat really sticks the landing with Capaldi's Doctor, even if there are some wobbles en route. Now, a final point is from yeah. James Courtney. Now, with James's email, for all the points he made, he ended each of them with a question for us. Oh, so great. rather than read a lot of James's ideas, I've, I've just picked out the questions that I'm going to dot through. So, okay. nice simple one for Capaldi. What is his best hair and his best costume? I mean, hair's uh, obviously okay. at the end when it goes absolutely mad. I like I like series nine hair and costume personally. When he start, you know, when he starts to kind of just have the hoodie and, and you know, mm. uh, under the jacket and stuff. Uh, I mean, it's bloody hot. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. That might be for outfit. If I picture Capaldi in my head, yeah. he's kind of got like the long red velvet coat, you know, like yes. jacket. And but for hair, it's definitely towards the end when it just goes insane. Well, you know, twice upon a time where yeah, you know, somehow the regenerative process has made him gain like another inch <laughs> of hair between the end of Doctor Falls mm -hmm. <laughs> and the start of uh, yeah, twice upon a time. Yeah, it's glorious, isn't it? It it is. Yeah. Um, uh, great. Okay, so the next question I've got for you then, Matt. Moving on from the twelfth Doctor, you know, series ten is significant. Uh, because it gives us a, a, a new TARDIS team with Bill and Nardole. Uh, obviously, we get a bit more of a run-up with Nardole because he's in both of those preceding Christmas specials. Uh, so we'll start with him. What do you, what, now that you've got the kind of the complete picture with Nardole, what, where, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, I warmed to him. Yeah. I, I, I much preferred him when he wasn't cracking jokes every two minutes. Mm. 
you know, when he... He settles down in series 10, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like less is more. He was funnier, you know, when he kept dropping in little lines about how much of a badass he was. Yeah. And when he was just front and centre, just talking and waffling and, you know, it was a, a bit much. Yes, definitely. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think what I love about Nardo is, well, a few things. One, Matt Lucas is just such a likeable on-screen presence. Uh, and and two, there is no one, no other companion like him. You know, to a certain extent with a lot of New Who and even Classic Who companions, it would be possible to, to categorise them to an extent. They're all different, but they fall into certain categories and things. And I think Nardole, his closest... It would be would be uh, to file him a, a, along with K nine, um, mm. but but then they are very different in terms of personality and stuff. Even if functionally, at times they they serve a similar role within a story. He's he's just a really unique character, um, and it's so nice to have as well a, a genuinely a, a companion. And I do, he is a companion, no question. I won't brook any argument on that. Who doesn't conform to, you know, standard, uh, you, you know, beauty standards, things like that. You know, <laughs> he's a strange-looking bloke. You know, he's rotund and bald and bespectacled. Well, that's and, it. Even when we know, when we had Amy and Rory, yeah. and you know, there was a bit of tension because Amy and the Doctor were close, and they yeah. kind of made jokes about how Rory wasn't a handsome chap, and I'm like, he's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that's the uh, 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 best one in the world. S- series five and six, you've got three three gorgeous people running around time and space together. That's, you, <laughs> you know, that's not a hard sell, is it? Um so yeah, I, as as uh, I think it's really nice to see. To, it, it kind of it's refreshing on that level, as as uh, surface level as that is. Um, yeah, no, I think when the jokes land, they really land. Um, when they don't, they're over quickly, and it doesn't really matter. And I'm not going to say Nardole's my favourite companion ever, but I think he is. He is like that little, like that little sprinkling of herbs and spices or something into the stew of series 10 it would be it would be a blander experience without him mm-hmm. um and so then moving on to bill what you know what are your thoughts on on bill now that you've had her story probably my favorite companion yes and uh, I, I, if if i if i could i'd be high-fiving you right now about Tied with Amy and Rory, but they come as a pair. They need each other to be good. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, I mean, I, I must talk about it every episode. Just like even Bill's music, I absolutely love. Yeah. You know, I, Just... I think I've said I will listen to that when I'm doing, like, odd jobs and stuff as background noise. For, for, for me, Bill is just... So even when even when the stories aren't great, and there there are definitely some clunkers in series ten, 
Poe Mackie carries it. And not every not every companion manages that, you know, being able to still be a watchable, likable, engaging presence on screen when the script stinks. Yeah. That's an amazing skill. Um, and she's able to be, like, clumsy and a bit ditzy without yeah. being stupid. No, she's her intelligence is never in question. Her emotional intelligence, or and even though she doesn't know everything, of course she doesn't know everything, but she does learn. And, like, you, you know, once, whatever situation she's landed in, she manages to keep up with the Doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. She's not always like one step behind or anything. Um, yeah, no. Uh, B- Bill is my favourite companion, and and really the trio, it, it is my favourite Tardis team. Classic or New Who. Well, that just I'm just putting that out there. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, Twelfth Doctor maybe not my favourite Doctor in isolation, uh, but. Tw- Capaldi with Bill and Nardole, that is my dream team. And I am so desperate for Big Finish to get them all in a room together. And just, one series isn't enough for me with this team. I I would love some more stories with them. There's so much, like, tease. Like, at the beginning, there's a big focus on Bill's mum. Yeah. And then it's just like, no, that, don't worry about it. Yeah. And, you know, if if it were me, I was thinking about this in the week. If it were me, I'd have written Bill's exit a little bit differently. Right. So I'd have kept her much the same because she is, like, you know, hopeful and excited. Mm -hmm. And, you know, following on from the Cybermen, I'd have it where week by week that hopefulness kind of gets chipped away. Yeah. You know, where the inevitability of really horrible things happening creeps in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, I'd have probably preferred it if rather than turn into a Cyberman. And, you know, if she made the decision to leave the Doctor. Like Martha did. Yeah, just like, you know, she'd rather just be at home and be happy than out and about realising travelling all of time and space yeah. isn't that great. Yeah, oh, she, you know, she's had a taste of that. She's had some questions answered, and yeah, just re- yeah, ready to move on with the next chapter of her life. That would be lovely. Yeah, I. There is if, this is a this is a really, it's something that runs right through RTD and Moffat's era. Is this tendency towards, companions? The only way they can exit is via tragedy. Because no one in their right mind would choose to stop travelling with the Doctor. You know, the only exception to that is Martha that we've seen. You know. Which is a great shame, I think. Mm. I, I don't, you know, I'm not saying every companion needs to just be like, all right, see ya, and that, that's that. But I, it would have been nice for Bill to have that chance. But... I don't know, she gets a happily ever after in her own weird deus ex puddle way. Um, yeah. So, fine. And, yeah, you know what, worst case scenario, if if they can't get Capaldi and Matt Lucas in, uh, big finish, just get Pearl Mackey in and, and I forget her name, but the, lady, uh, the, the, the actor who plays uh, Heather, just do that. Just, 
you know, interdimensional space. Just put lesbians. him in Torchwood. Yeah. We don't need John Barrowman anymore. Just <laughs> put Pearl Mackey in Torchwood. Yeah, great. Anything. Any any route you can think of to get her back in, in the Doctor Who universe, I will be there for it in an instant. Um, okay, so... Do you want some thoughts on Nardole and Bill? Yes, please. Yeah. Right. So I'm just going to read an excerpt from Flippity Giggard. Yeah. Who says, in general, I think that two is the perfect number of companions. Yeah. Bill and Nardole fill these roles in a two companion TARDIS to a T. Yeah. And then I'm just going to read a little bit of a message from Frank. Say hello to Frank, David. Hello, Frank. So... He says, this season, Bill specifically got me very excited for queer representation in the future. Mm -hmm. Here we have a proud black lesbian with an on-screen romantic romance. I was mostly happy because it's such a step forward from the disappointment that was Jenny and Vastra, who spent most of their screen time talking about the Doctor or teasing each other, culminating in a no-homo kiss where Vastra gives Jenny her oxygen in deep breath. Yeah. But here we have two people on screen who genuinely have romantic chemistry and share a real kiss. Romantic queerness is something Doctor Who teased but never delivered until then, often relegated to side characters or, in Captain Jack's case, a whole other show. That's why Bill's presence means so much to me. Representation like this is always nice and it just feels good coming from my favourite and usually quite clumsy show. With it done once, the chances of more representation like this increases. I'm sure RTD fought to have things like this in his run, but would have had major pushback, so it's pleasantly surprising Moffat, of all people, pulled it off so beautifully. Yeah, hear, hear. Like, Moffat, Moffat can be clumsy with this stuff sometimes, but, you know, credit where it's due. That. I, I think Bill's Bill's romantic uh, story is is handled pretty well, um, and it, and yeah, I mean representation matters. I don't need to say more than that. It but it, it really does. People, it, it it's it's important for people to feel seen and heard. Um, right. So final final thoughts on Bill and Nardo. Yes. Okay, because David. After the sadness of last week, Marty McLean's back. Hit the music! Hey. Marty, Marty, Marty. Marty, 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 Marty. So Marty was just busy with work last week. Ah, oh, bless him. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm just glad he's okay. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he did enjoy our little, our little. I don't want to say spiel because it came from the heart. <laughs> our little discussion about how much we missed him. Oh, excellent. So he says, "I love, love, love Bill. She reminds me so much of Ace. Yet she is distinctive enough that she doesn't become Ace light." Mm. Bill was such a refreshing change from Clara, who I've grown to love recently, but was glad to see the back of in Series 9. Nardol is my man. He's funny, loyal, charming, and he's also a badass. Enough said. Yeah. 
it just it's just a great combination, isn't it? Just three flavors yeah. that work so well together. Um, so, although you've got Bill, who I've said is quite you know clumsy and charming, mm-hmm. and you've got Nardo, obviously Matt Lucas. I think the funniest out of the three of them is Capaldi. Yeah. That that bit in Twice Upon a Time where the soldier says, "Oh, uh, uh, are either of you a doctor?" and he just goes, "Are you taking the mic?" <laughs> like genuinely funny. Yeah, and, and I mean, all the way through his run, you know, right from his very first episode, he actually nails the comedy. It's just a very different kind of humor to Matt Smith. Matt Smith is very like you know, wacky, cartoonish kind of humour. Whereas Capaldi's has a real bite to it, mm-hmm. you know. And both great, both, both. you know, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but, uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think Capaldi always get the recogni- recognition he deserves for just how funny he can be. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, all right then. Shall we move on? Um, because in addition to Bill and Nardole, we really need to talk about Missy. Mm-hmm. I think, as I've written here, she's practically a third companion by the time you get to this yeah. series. Um, and so, what what do you think of her emotional journey? If you think where she starts in series eight to where she ends up here, and um, and I've got a follow-up question there, but we'll start there. What, what do you think of her emotional journey? Uh, she's been the best thing of the show for the last three series. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, I don't know whether we need to say more than that. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'd be amazed if anyone listening to this doesn't agree with that statement. You know, when when I saw River Song leave, and I was like, oh, man, how the, how are they going to replace her? Like, there's just going to be such a gulf in quality. Here we go, along comes Missy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's... Michelle Gomez is just... Uh, one of a kind. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine anyone else pulling this off. I think if anyone else tried, it would be hammy and crap and rubbish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it amazes me that she can be so big in her performance, so off the wall, and yet it feels real. Yeah, she doesn't seem like a cartoon character that's just floated in from another completely different show. She feels like she belongs there, even though she is just on, on a completely different plane of reality to everything else around her. If that makes sense, uh, it, yeah, it's an amazing performance. Um, yeah, there, there's no weak link. No, like every scene she's in, she's the best thing in that scene. And the other thing is, I think it's really striking. She's probably the only incarnation of the Master. Uh, maybe you could argue with Delgado, but who who really gets a a genuine emotional arc? Mm-hmm. In the same way that this incarnation of the Doctor starts and ends in a very different place, she starts this completely unhinged lunatic. You know, just tr- trying to cl- reclaim her friend. Through means of wanton destruction, completely missing the point that he's not going to be happy with that. Um, mm. You know, and by the end of it, she's 
ready to give being good a chance. You know, betraying her own former self. And I don't think we can discuss Missy without discussing the reappearance of John Sim. Because no. the end of that episode where it's revealed all of a sudden we've got two masters. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've said since his first appearance, the masters and, you know, obviously now Missy, it's my favourite villain. Yeah. And I, I didn't see it coming and I was ready for the next episode as soon as I did see it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a glorious way to end her run because it gives you an opportunity to appreciate what Missy has done as a character and, and like but you know you've got that point of contrast you you yeah. right in front of you, you can say oh this is where she came from this is this is how she was and now she's ended up in this place emotionally and morally and and, and that's fascinating and then you've got that sort of tragic poetic end to that story where is it is it double murder? Is it suicide? Yeah. How do you even quantify? Yeah, it's happened? so weird because it's almost like it's almost like Romeo and Juliet, the two deaths at yeah, the end. But it's the same. But at the person. same time, yeah, and and it's not a love story. <laughs> like no, it, it's, it, it's it's a so story awesome. of self hatred. Yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. You you could. I mean, people have written books about that story. Um, it's amazing piece of writing, amazing piece of performance from 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 both of them. Um, and I guess so. This leads me into my follow up question: With something so emotionally satisfying, are you keen at this point for to have another iteration of the master, or do you think that kind of should be the end point of that character? Let it breathe. Let it breathe. I don't want us to be like, oh, it's me, I'm Jodie Whittaker, I'm back on Earth, and oh, who's that? And it just turns out it's the master. Mm. No, let it breathe. I want I want two seasons off from the master. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. Um, bring, I obviously... bring someone else back. It doesn't always have to be the master. No, you know, there, like, there, are, let... there are other rogue Time Lords as well. You know, you could think you've, you've got... Omega or uh, the Rani, you know, or, or invent somebody new. Yeah. Find find some weird loophole. Get the Corsair in for an episode. Who wouldn't love that? Um. So. Yeah, uh, I I I kind of I, I definitely see where you're coming up from with that. Obviously, I, I don't want to tip my hat one way or the other. Uh, you know, you'll have to wait and see what what the Whitaker era has in store. But uh, I, I felt the same as you do now. When when this series was done, I was like, I we need to give the master a rest at this point. Um, did did we get much uh, correspondence on on Missy and the master? Uh, we did, but before we talk about it, David, yes. I, I kind of need to discuss something with you. Right. Okay. So. Whenever Marty McLean sends us a nice message, yes, I, I've inserted now what is known as Marty's theme. Yes. Okay. So basically, if you go on YouTube, you can just type in "Man Sings Name" and then I just put Marty, and there's <laughs> a man who sings a song about Marty. Right now, 
if you remember, the first person inducted to the Martin McLean Hall of Fame is Jessica Wummel. Yes. And I went onto YouTube and typed in Mansing's name, Jessica. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the same person that sings the Martin McLean song, who's just called The Man Who Sings Names, did have a song, but instead of Jessica, it's Jess. And I didn't know whether that went, you know, whether Jessica goes by Jess. Right. But then there is one which is called The Weird Man Who Sings About Poop and Pee Sings Jessica. So he sings a song, but it just goes, Jessica, poo, 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 poo. <laughs> is it rude if I edit that in and make that Jessica's song? I, I mean, I think you're going to... Only you can answer that question. You and, 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 and Jessica will have to figure that out between the two of you. I mean, um, she, when, when, I, when we were, like, back and forth on email, I think Jessica Wummel's a doctor. I think she's <laughs> above, like, poo and pee, like, humour. <laughs> so, you know, she might be, like, with her doctor friends, like, really esteemed colleagues, and she's like, oh, just listen to this. And it just, like, goes... Jessica, poo, poo, poo. <laughs> like, how, how is this a niche of the internet that I would, was completely unaware of I, until today? I didn't know about it till this week. That's Go incredible. YouTube, the weird man who sings about poop and pee. Amazing. Uh, humans are a fascinating bunch, aren't they? Yeah, so, <laughs> I, I mean, do, do I put it in and just see how it goes? She might be really offended. I, you'll have to make that decision. If she that. stops listening, that's like quarter of our listeners. Gone. <laughs> I'd say give it a go, see what happens. Right. That's, well, that's if if I mean at the end of the day, that's been the ethos of this podcast from day one, hasn't it? Right. So, not as enthusiastically as the Martin <laughs> McLean theme tune. Hit the music, Jessica. <laughs> Jessica poop 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 Jessica poop 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 Jessica Jessica Okie doke um, Right well hopefully Jessica's still listening enough to <laughs> hear us read out her message <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm keen to hear this. What, what's Jessica got to say on the subject of uh, Missy? Okay, so she says, let's talk about Missy. I had previously stalled out on my Doctor Who watching after Matt Smith's seasons, finding it difficult to break into Capaldi's era mm -hmm. and repeatedly re-watching seasons one to seven. During quarantine, I went back to catch up on these seasons I hadn't seen. I made my way through Capaldi's first season, mostly enjoying it, but then Missy was introduced, and I was all in. Michelle mm -hmm. Gomez is utterly brilliant. Her quippy one-liners, physical comedy, and interactions with the Doctor are unmatched. I don't have a relationship with Old Who, though I'm working on it. And my only experience with the Master are her and John Sim. While Sim's portrayal was interesting, if manic, let's be honest, he had an extremely punchable face. <laughs> Missy had depth and much more of an arc I really enjoyed watching her trying to be good and catching glimmers of true friendship with the Doctor while I have now developed quite a fondness for Capaldi 
She is by far the best part of his era, in my opinion. Mm. I will watch anything Michelle Gomez is in now. Yeah. She is she is fantastic. Um, and I, I think, for me, it's... I wouldn't want one without, without the other. I can't imagine Missy without the Twelfth Doctor. I can't imagine the Twelfth the Doctor without no. Missy. And, like, I, I, I've seen interviews and what have you mm. and photographs... And Capaldi and Gomez just seem to get one another. Yeah. Like, there's such a playfulness, but also, like, absolute respect and, I don't know, love yeah. for working together. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think they both had a wonderful time working with each other on, on this show. And it, it really echoes uh, Roger Delgado and John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. You know... It, it's, it was the introduction of the Master with Delgado that really brought Pertwee's Doctor... Excuse me. Pertwee's Doctor fully into focus. And the relationship that they built up on and off screen was really pivotal to Pertwee's era. And I don't think any other Doctor in between those two really had a defining Master. Mm-hmm. Like, Sim makes an impact when he shows up in, in the Tennant era. But when you think about Tennant, you're not thinking about John Sim in, in you know, in the same breath. You know, he, yeah. he's a smaller part of that era. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 we could, we could talk about, we could talk about Missy forever, I think, but I, I think we need to move on. Um, so my... Final question, sorry. Yeah, go on. James Courtney says, what is Missy's best moment? Oh. It's obviously where she shouts Dr. Chang really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard to beat, isn't it? Dr. Yeah. Chang! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know if my wife had come home from work. I was going to do a massive scream of Dr. Chang. That is but... so good. I mean, there are so many to choose. So many to choose. I love that scene when she's at the piano in uh, The Lie of the Land, just dispassionately explaining how Bill's got to die to fix everything. And, and like, she's so coldly evil in that scene. Um, that's a great little performance, an underrated moment. I love the scene it, at the end of uh, Death in Heaven where she's presenting the Cybermen army to um to the doctor and, and she says that line i just want my friend back like yeah. it, it, that exact mo- it's like it's like the missing piece of the puzzle i was like of course I, I, and like i i think i said on that episode it's it's an analogy i've always stuck with since it's like it's the equivalent of a cat dragging a dead bird onto your doorstep yeah the, the cat genuinely thinks it's it's you know doing something nice for you um yeah Got you. There are so many, so many. You know, funny moments, serious moments. Uh, I, I think it. I might go for it as well. Uh, the doctor's dead. He told me he never liked you. Oh yes, that's a great one. Uh, yeah, I mean that whole uh, and that whole opening scene in um uh but the world enough and time where she's you know talking about how you know proclaiming to be Doctor Who mm. and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, all of it. That's my answer. 
I know it's a cop out. Yeah. Don't care. All of it, start yeah. to finish, perfection. Um, right, even the dab. On. Even the dab. Oh wow. <laughs> um, okay, so my next question for you, Matt. I'm I'm going to switch the order here. So we'll rattle through this one really quickly. Returning monsters name. Who who do you want to see make a comeback that was introduced in series ten? I'm going to be honest. Every time I do this, I feel like it's diminishing returns. None more so than this. Series 10 is good for a lot of things, but new monsters with potential to come back? It's not up there, I don't think. So I've got the Vardis and Emojibots from Smile. No. The big Fish slash Racism from, from um, Sin Ice. Tone down the racism, tone up the Big Fish. <laughs> um, the Alien Woodlice from Knock Knock. Can't even remember them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I totally forgot that episode where yeah. the boy's mum's made of wood. Yeah. It's bonkers, yeah. that one, isn't it? When you, when you take a step back and think about it, it that is a yeah. bonkers episode. Um, Less of that place. From Oxygen, we had just sort of unspecified end-stage capitalism future hell. Do you want that to make a comeback? Well... <laughs> that that got the vote for BT Flibbity Giggard's best monster of the series, the concept of capitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's a strong one, for sure. Um, the monks, obviously. No. You know, they've got we've got to we've got to kind of include them in this list. They they I, I they thought were... they were gonna be so much more because mm. everyone was like, Oh, this is the first of the monk trilogy. I was like, we've never really had a trilogy. This must be a good thing. Mm. And no, crap. I think they they are the clearest example we've had for a long time of uh, missed opportunity. The only bit I liked with the monks is where they were all flying the aeroplane together. Yeah. Uh, and it just looked <laughs> mental. That was so silly. That's so <laughs> silly. Um, got the eaters of light, you know, sort of vague tentacle things. Yeah, like, I didn't mind them, but that that could have been anything, mm. you know. We we Next series, we could have a, a monster that eats light. In fact, we've had monsters <laughs> that eat light, and it doesn't have to be that, does no, it? No, it they doesn't. They were a bit monster they, they, the they, they were They were the least significant part of that story, really, despite lending it the uh, title of the episode. Um, and finally, technically, it's a classic monster and uh, i don't know mondesi and cyberman i feel like they're distinct enough you know it's a distinct look do you think one and done with those in new who or again save them yeah it was nice it was nice having a bit of classic back but i don't want that to be the new norm yeah that i think that's fair so if you're they... gonna pick one I, I i'm gonna side with marty mclean who says the mondesi and cybermen yeah but I don't want to see them every week. No, so you maybe give a, like the master, give it a couple of series before we can think about bringing them back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Moffat is gone. Yep. Yay, boo! Like, how are you feeling about that? You know. Um, I I preferred his run to RTDs. Yeah. But is that because RTD's run was there to lay the table? Well, that's the thing. Like you, you don't get to Moffat era Who without having something like RDT, RTD's Who 
as a stepping stone, I feel like. Mm. I think Moffat would be the first to admit that, that I don't think you could have come in cold and, and, and got the sort of budget and leeway to do to take the kind of risks that Moffat took with Doctor Who without RTD making the show a, 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 a huge hit and a huge part of British consciousness again in the way that he was able to do. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've already hinted at it. Yeah. That one of my things that I love most about Doctor Who on yeah. the whole is River Song. And yeah. that's all Moffat. It is, yeah. I don't think anyone else, he ever let anyone else write her character. Yeah. So um, maybe for that reason and that reason alone, I would go for Moffat. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I sent you links. I don't know if you had a chance to watch them or not, Matt. The, uh, the sort of three-part interview that's on YouTube. I, I, I'll be honest. Yeah. After you mentioned it last week, I totally forgot. Ah, well, it's not that I never intended to watch them. <laughs> I just until now, I totally forgot. No, I mean, that's totally fine. I'll, I'll include links in the show notes if anyone's interested. If you haven't seen it, I do think if you're at all interested in his era of Who, it is really worth a watch. It goes right from the start, the first thing, you know, the first things he ever wrote for Doctor Who, all the way through to his his era. And he didn't get everything right. He admits in that, in that interview he doesn't get everything right. Um, but they... But, but he, what I get from from watching that interview again was, this man gets it. He gets Doctor Who in a way that I think almost nobody else does to quite the same level. Um, mm-hmm. His his passion and his his level of understanding of why why Doctor Who is special is kind of unparalleled. And actually, this isn't a quote from this interview, but this is a quote that I'm going to just read. I think it was something you originally said in uh, maybe an issue of Doctor Who magazine or something. I can't remember, but but it's it's one that does around sometimes. And I think it perfectly sums up the lens through which he views Doctor Who and why it has the impact that it has. Heroes are important. Heroes tell us who we want to be. But when they made this particular hero... They didn't give him a gun. They gave him a screwdriver to fix things. They didn't give him a tank or a warship or an X-wing. They gave him a cool box from which you can call for help. And they didn't give him a superpower or a heat ray. They gave him an extra heart. And that's extraordinary. There will never come a time when we don't need a hero like the Doctor. Mm. I, I, does that not like yeah. just perfectly? Pretty, pretty much says it all, doesn't it? It does, and like, so I just think he gets the Doctor as a character in a way almost no other writer who's ever written for a show does. He manages to take everything that's happened before, you who and RTD's era, and kind of crystallize it, and that's why you've got episodes like. A Good Man Goes to War, The Name of the Doctor, The Day of the Doctor, these kinds of stories that really examine what does it mean to be this kind of a hero? You know, someone who, who for whom violence is always the last resort and, and, and who is doing it from a place of just caring. 
caring an unhealthy amount, stopping to, to help when nobody else would even notice that there's a problem. You know, um, and that level of deep understanding and deep commitment to the character of the Doctor, I think is something that you can really see run through his era, like, you know, in a stick of rock. Uh -huh. it, it's just, it, it permeates every creative decision he makes, even when he gets it wrong. And he definitely does sometimes, you know. I'm not for a moment suggesting that every episode he ever wrote was a banger, you know. But I do think his his contribution is pretty extraordinary. And I was a little little scared going into the Chibnall era. I was like, I feel like it's going to be a big loss to the show because even in the RTD era, you know, his episodes were some of the standouts. Yeah. But, you know, you can't blame him for wanting to give it a rest. He's At this point, he's written probably more Doctor Who than anyone else, certainly of the modern era. Um, but even if you, like, total... I don't know, if you totaled up running times of Robert Holmes's script, maybe they out, outrun what Moffat's written. Maybe not by much, but Moffat packs so many ideas into the space of 45 minutes. I think he, he really left an indelible mark on, on the show as a whole and helped, I think, to make it not just a UK thing, but a global thing. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got any, anything else to say. I, I can't, I'm just, that's something I've been wanting to say for a long time, but I kind of wanted to wait until now to say it. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because uh, the question James Courtney asks was all about the themes and tropes in Moffat's writing. Okay, great. I think great. we kind yeah. of covered that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, um, so what I will do then is go back to Marty McLean, hit yeah. the music. <laughs> Marty, Marty, Marty. Marty, 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 Marty. M-A-R-T-Y. M-A-R-T-Y. Marty, 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 Marty. Marty. Marty, 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 Marty. So... Marty says, I'm somebody who loved Moffat, fell out of love with Moffat in late Series 6, but got firmly back on the Moff train with Series 9. Sometimes you think, oh, he's trying too hard to show how clever he is again, but the dude is genuinely clever with a great way of telling stories. There has been many a time I tried to outsmart Moffat. Remember everyone thought there was a big continuity error in Flesh and Stone mm -hmm. before the other perspective was shown in The Big Bang. Uh, but he's yeah. always ready to prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. I love the Davis era. He wrote some classics and was able to solidify Doctor Who as a legend rather than that daggy show from back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But if there is one thing I love more about the Moffat era, it's that he took bold risks. Yes, yeah, some didn't work out as well as others. The other thing is, Moffat never had a Moffat. When Davies needed a great script turned around quickly, he knew he could rely on his mate Moffat to deliver the goods. But the same luxury was never afforded to Moffat when he took over from Davies. Perhaps writing as well as showrunning for a long for as long as he did occasionally let some cracks through. Pun intended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing you've got to remember is whilst he's doing this. He's also show-running Sherlock. Yeah. 
it's crazy. And he talks in that interview that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes about the, the impossible it was impossible for him to to manage the two effectively. It was too much for any one person to do, and the scheduling never works out. It, it, you know, he would always be doing stuff concurrently for both. It was never a situation where he could, like, say, OK, done with that series of Doctor Who, now I'll have a look at my Sherlock scripts. You know, the, the two were always fighting for space in his head. Um, it's an incredible achievement. Like, for it to be even half as good as it is, his era... I think is is pretty extraordinary, um, so yeah, I, I I'm sad to see him go, but also I do think the timing was right. I think the show needed a refresh and not just a new Doctor. I think by the time you get to Twice Upon a Time, it really does feel like he's putting the final full stop in in his sort of thesis of what Doctor Who should be, and it's <laughs> re- it's time for somebody else to have a go. I think get some different perspectives in um so that being the case what are your hopes for series 11 you know what if you were to change make changes to what the show has been up until this point what would you be wanting to do with it right well i i I don't know anything about series 11 onwards yeah uh, like I, I have no idea of what is going to happen with the show. I know Jodie Whittaker's the Doctor. Yeah. Um, Bradley but Walsh. The only other thing I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's in it, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Um, is I I know that it's not the most popular era. Yes. People seem to think I I I know it's probably big fat men just upset that there's a lady you know at front and center of their favorite show. That is part of I, it. I for just. Sure. I just hope that there isn't a massive dip in quality. Mm. You know, like we we've watched some bad episodes. Yeah. And you know, we're able to laugh at it because it's, you know, the odd bad episode here and there. I think if week in week out we're just watching bad story after bad story. I think it'll become demoralising. and I, <laughs> I think we won't enjoy doing this anymore. Mm. I think, you know, we'll struggle to find points to discuss. You know, our friendship will deteriorate. We won't want to hang out anymore. I'll see you in the street. You <laughs> pretend you're on your mobile phone or got somewhere to be. You know, I, I've got a lot rested on series 11. Yeah, it's understandable. Like, there is so much noise at the moment around the current era of the show and, you know, discussions about the the, the future of the show. And it, it, it's, there's a lot in the air and there has been for a while. Um, I don't really, I don't want to be drawn on specifics yet. It's too, too, too soon for those conversations. But all I'm going to say to you now is this, Matt. There are episodes coming up in series 11 and 12 that I am so excited to talk to you about. I, I, I cannot say whether you will like or dislike the era as a whole, but you will not be stuck for things to say about it. And yeah. I think no matter what, we will have interesting conversations. And I hope our listeners stick around for those as well, because um, I don't think it's going to be boring. 
No, that's it. Like, if if it was just flat, that mm. that's worse than it being bad. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. As as long as as long as we're able to take some joy from it <laughs> and be able to have something to discuss. Yeah. You know, like I I, I don't buy into the fact that it's bad simply because there's a woman at the front of no. the show. It's you know? certainly not. I, I, I mean. Broadly, broadly, and, and again, I'm not going to quantify it, compare, compare it to anything else, but broadly, it has good episodes and it has bad episodes. You know, it has good characters and it has characters that maybe don't quite work as well. In that sense, it's the same as any other era of Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, that could be series one. Yeah, it could be series, it could, yeah, it could be series five, it could be series eight, you know. Episode two, there's a woman who's half tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and, and oh, no, their, their show's are... really gone too far with uh, a woman. Yeah, and, and 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 let's not forget a human skin trampoline play, played by Zoe Wanamaker. <laughs> yeah. This show is bonkers, and it's it's all it's never not going to be patchy. <laughs> it's just there's no way to make Doctor Who the show it is, and not for it to end up being hit and miss. Um, it's like a science fiction sketch show in that respect. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just it's going to be an interesting ride, and I'm really looking forward to to kind of going on that journey with you. Uh, did we get any uh, correspondence with regards to that, or yeah? People so kind James of... Courtney asked you, "What do you think I will think about series eleven? But I feel we've sort of covered that. Yeah, I think you, you know? will. You will definitely feel it's different. You will feel it's different. Yeah. And I can't predict whether you will think, by and large, that those are good changes or whether you'll be kind of pining for aspects of the Moffat era that are no longer present. But I think you will find it interesting. You will find things to say about it. So that's all I'm looking forward to right now. Right. Uh, Amy says the main hope that she had when Series 11 began was that the Doctor-Companion relationship would be compelling and interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've felt that at the start of every season. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? When you're starting with a new companion, it's like you are sort of... It is like opening... It's a new chapter, isn't it? And it takes time to get used to that new dynamic, doesn't it? And then BT Flippity Giggard says that they are going to copy and paste a post they made on a Doctor Who Discord group at the time. Yeah. So this is what how they felt at the time. So having seen his writing for both Broadchurch and Torchwood, we already know that Chibnall has a knack for large casts and big emotional stakes. So I'm looking forward to his take on Doctor Who. I'm a little worried about Jodie Whittaker. While she's been at least decent in everything I've seen her in, I don't know whether she's the se she has the same charisma as Tennant, Smith or Capaldi. Then again, Eccleston was kind of a weird choice too, and he was great. I'm really curious about what kind of take she'll have with the role. I'm hoping for another, more grounded Doctor rather than a goofy one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so um, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? I think, mm. you know. Uh, I'm excited. Now, one... One other thing yes. that I tagged on to my email, yes. just as a little bit of self-indulgence, was I asked people what their highlight of the series has been 
from the pod rather than the show. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, just some happy memories. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Amy says, I enjoyed the observations on the way Capaldi worked the TARDIS in comparison to the other Doctors. It was nice to hear positive things about the Eaters of Light. Yeah. Yeah, I was so happy that that you enjoyed that episode as well. Because it, it, yeah. it, it, it's a strong contender for an episode that just doesn't get enough love. Um, yeah, great. Uh, BT Flippity Giggard says that their favourite was that one episode where I freaked out when England scored. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I think that was probably your least favourite episode of the series, wasn't it? Where I was was kind of talking to you out the corner of my eye. Yeah. Yeah. I was there in body, but not spirit. Indeed. Uh, James Courtney says his favourite part is when we read out his tweets. Ah. Uh, He also says he loves the theme tune that some of the tweeters have got. Now, (laughs) do we give him a theme song, David, or is that pandering? Ah. I feel like it is a bit, and uh, also, you know, that ship has sailed. Surely, like he's been, it, it's, uh, he's been such a mainstay of of the the listeners' tweets for so long. I feel like it's too late to kind of introduce a uh, a, a yeah. tradition. But what 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 if rather than a song where the guy just sings the name James, if I just put this song from the old Bird's Eye Potato Waffles advert in? Oh, yeah, that'll that do. Be, that can become James's theme tune. Yeah. Go, let's go with that. I hope you're happy okay. with that, James, because that's happening yeah. now. Be careful what you wish for. You've just wished on a monkey paw there, mate. <laughs> uh, James also says, Would I lie to who frequently has him laughing? But ultimately, it's just nice to have two nice people to listen to each week as this hasn't exactly been an easy time for anybody. Yeah, I, I would... I mean, yeah, pod, other podcasts have helped get me through this time as well. It's... It, podcasts are weird, aren't they? It's yeah. a weird thing to do with your time, but it, it's... It helps, yeah. Yeah. It helps us too. And, yeah. and then finally, the last one I've saved is from Marty McLean. Hit the music. Marty, Marty, Marty. Marty, 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 Marty. M-A-R-T-Y. M-A-R-T-Y. Marty, 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 Marty. Marty. Marty, 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 Marty. And he says that he likes all the Doctor Who nonsense in our Would I Lie to You podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right. All right, so now, I've got one more what... question for you, Matt. Go on, because I also have one more question. All right, okay, no, go on then. So uh, you, you give me your question first then, Matt. Okay, well, it's not my question. It comes actually from James Swift. Ooh, excellent. Okay. Late appearance from James Swift there. Yeah, he, he did send, like, quite a few questions, but I'm not going to lie, James Courtney got there first. <laughs> you got you got to live up to your name, James. So... Having finished series ten, yes. Having now finished Eccleston, yeah. Tennant, yeah. Smith, Capaldi. Mm-hmm. James Swift says, "Which moments of the show do you think of when you think of each Doctor?" Ah, oh, that's a good question. Now, I I've kind of 
turned that on its head. And yeah. by that, I mean I've completely changed the question. Okay. Because now that we've finished Capaldi's run, I want to give you my top three Capaldi moments. Yes, great. All right, I'm, I'm here for it. Right. Coming in at number three... The little bit where he walks through the fog and talks to little boy Davros. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. It's quite good, isn't it? Yep, yep. In at number two, and it, Capaldi doesn't really do anything here. It's just a like an iconic image. Just that bit where he's been carried by Cyberman Bill through the fog. Mm. No, it's a powerful image, though. It's a good one, yeah. It's a striking part of his, his era. And then my favourite Capaldi moment, and I, I talked about this on the episode, it's from Husbands of River Song, mm -hmm. and it's at the end where the Doctor's done all this lovely stuff, and River Song just goes, oh, I hate you. And it just really quietly, really subtly, it just goes, no, you don't. Yeah. Like, so beat perfect. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. yeah. It I, I can't I can't argue with any of those. I mean, uh, maybe not the same ranking. Uh, I can't redo that off the top of my head. I don't think I I would freak out about everything that I'm forgetting. But um, yeah, Capaldi. No matter what, you we I think we all have to admit Capaldi is a tough act to follow. Yeah, I think anyone would feel that way. Yeah, um, and like, like when I say that uh, Matt Smith's my favourite, you know, some days you want cheese, some days you want donuts. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean cheese is better than donuts, does it? Exactly, and this is the problem I have when anyone asks me to rank doctors. I can't do it because... Oh, I thought you were going to say that's the problem I have when someone asks me, do you want cheese or donuts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what, Matt? I wish I had that problem on a more regular basis. <laughs> Just that crippling anxiety. Just, cheese, no donuts, donuts, donuts. <laughs> okay, so I've got one more question then for you, Matt. It's, it's, the, okay. uh, it's the easiest one by far. Matt, are you a Doctor Who fan? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm going to say no, but it's becoming more difficult for me to say no. You've enjoyed a lot of Doctor Who at this point, for someone who doesn't yeah. like Doctor Who. Yeah. I, I would say the answer to that question depends who's asking me. <laughs> like, like if I'm at a party and there's a loud, brash man who's like going, oh, I love Doctor Who, do you like Doctor Who? I'd probably go, no, I've never seen it, mate. <laughs> but, you know, if I found out that one of my long-term friends liked Doctor Who, I'd probably go, oh, yeah, I like Doctor Who. Do you want to chat? Yeah. Because, I mean, if there's one thing that this podcast and the billions of others have proved, there's lots, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Doctor Who. You know? There's a lot of angles to look at it from. Um, yeah. I, I think we'll have now, to leave that there, won't we? Yeah. Yeah, now, we've, we've done a lot of talking. We're we going to push two hours here, aren't we? I think we probably are. Because we, we've we each prepared a short quiz for one another? We have, yeah. Um, Who do you want to do first? Um, 
Well, mine, mine's quite silly. If yours is going to be like quite serious and provoked, well, it's not going to be that. But it's mine's just just pure hard trivia. Um, so let's start. Let's right. start there then. I think. Uh, so this is the second has Matt been paying attention quiz. Uh, listeners, if you've been paying attention, you may remember that uh, with our series four and specials wrap up, I did a uh, RTD era edition of this quiz. Um, so this is the Moffat era edition. One question for each uh, series plus one for the day of the doctor. Um, and as I say, this is just pure. How closely have you been paying attention? So question one, what was the name of the ship carrying a weeping angel that crash landed in the time of angels? Was it is that the Byzantium? I don't need options. Oh, it's great. He remembers. It's the Byzantium. There we go. Straight in there. Two points for that, I'd say. OK. Um, question two. What was the name of the lake in which the doctor was killed and had his Viking funeral? Can you tell me that without a... Uh... Uh, I might know it when you tell me. OK. Um, so is it uh, A, Lake Angelos... B, uh -huh. Lake Dalekium, or C, Lake Silencio? Silencio. It is, yeah. Um, you're doing well, Matt. You're doing well. Okay, so question three. Uh, in the power of three, how long do the cubes remain on Earth before becoming active? Right. Is it A, one year, B, six months, or C, one week? Right, well, that's a bit of a nightmare because I was hoping you'd say either one year or six months and I couldn't remember. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a punt and say six months. I'm afraid it is one year. Oh. Yeah, you were doing so well. Okay, no. so in which London museum... Do the Zygons emerge in the day of the Doctor? Is it A, the National Gallery, B, the Victoria and Albert, or C, the British Museum? Am I right in thinking it's the National Gallery? You are correct. Yeah, because we all know who works there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what was the name of Missy's assistant in the Nether Sphere? Was it Jeb, Seb, or Webb? I think it's Jeb. I'm afraid it is Seb. I I thought when you said that, I was like, I think in my notes I wrote Seb, but misheard it and changed it to Jeb. I don't know why. <laughs> I just had a weird memory that I'd spelt his name wrong. Um, so next question. In the cold open to Under the Lake, the 12th Doctor... Yep lectures the audience on what kind Bitstrop of... Bitstrop Paradox. There we go, straight in there. And yes. last question. Uh, it's the most important thing from uh, to take away from Series 10. What kind of takeaway does the Doctor bring back to the vault for Missy at the end it's of Knock Chinese. Knock? Chinese. Chinese. Do you want to stick with that? Yes. Final answer. You don't want to hear the other options? 
No, I'm certain it's Chinese. I'm afraid, Matt, it is Mexican. We do see the Doctor <gasps> enjoying a Chinese takeaway at Bill's uh, new house earlier in the episode. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but I, at the I end of the episode... I remember specifically. Yeah, he, no, he tells Missy he's brought Mexican. <sighs> so there you go. Not, oh. not a bad showing overall, though. Um, some that I'm very surprised that you remember, especially, you know, some of the Matt Smith era. <laughs> stuff is going way back. I mean, no well, hesitation again, with I, the Byzantium. I, 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 can't, I can't stop talking about it, but I remember specifically River Song talking about the Byzantium. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things that Moffat cleverly kind of brings in that is first actually mentioned in The Silence in the Library. Um, one of the first mm. things when they're doing the diaries, you know, she asks if they've done the crash of the Byzantium. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll end on your quiz, but before we get there, I'm just going to, as a matter of formality, do my series ten r- episode rankings. It's just excellent. You know, rattle through these, and then we can all move on with our lives. Um, pretty straightforward. So. 12 stories in all to uh, go through. I've, I've broken up the Monks trilogy, but I've kept World Enough and Time and Doctor Falls as one story. I think that's a fair way to do it. So, number 12, Pyramid at the End of the World. You heard yeah, how annoyed crap. I was <laughs> when we were talking about that one. Uh, number 11, Lie of the Land. It's still, it still, it can't, on its own, it doesn't do enough to save that story. And it, it is very much marred by that awful regeneration fake out scene which it i just expunged from my head canon um but the rest of it's okay uh number 10 extremis it shows how strong a series this is that we're already getting to the the point of i have more nice things to say than negative things about all of these episodes um but extremis it's still it's an odd one it doesn't quite sit right with me but i can't i can't deny it's an interesting story. Um, number nine, knock, knock. Who's there? It's me. It's David. We're, we've been recording a podcast <laughs> for nearly two hours at this point. You thought you would have noticed. But, oh, you should have let yourself yeah. in earlier then. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, so uh, number eight, Eaters of Light. Not perfect, but way better than people give it credit for. Number seven, Smile. Same, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Smile's good. People need to kind of just... Get on board with that. Um, number six, Return of Doctor Mysterio. Some people outright hate Return of Doctor Mysterio. I am mystified by that. It's it's so fun. I could understand why people don't like it, but yeah, it was okay. No, I think it's lovely. Um, uh, so number five, Empress of Mars. One of Gatus's best. And uh, number four, Twice Upon a Time beautiful poetic coda to the Capaldi era, the Moff era as a whole. Like I say, it really feels like he's putting his final full stop. And, you know, you wouldn't get away with it in anything, any other kind of show, but it, it's, it's a beautiful episode of, of television, I think. Um, number three, the pilot. Best, best series opener since the 11th hour. Yeah. Just kicks things off with a bang. In, in, yeah, the, in the if, nicest way. If you can forgive the plot, it's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who cares about a plot? It's just... It's fun. <laughs> you know, the plot's just enough to carry you through, I think. Um, this is where it's going to get controversial. 
Number two, World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls. Um, okay. I think that would be a lot of people's number one. And I wonder if you can even work out what my number one is, because it's not, it's not the most dramatic episode. It's not the most important in terms of the... the, um, the... I, I can't even... I, I, I can't even remember what yeah. we've watched. <laughs> my number one Go episode on. of Series 10 is Thin Ice. Oh, okay. I love it. Yeah, what's not to love about a giant fish? A giant fish, Bill calling the Doctor out on his shit, the Doctor punching a racist, you know, it's adorable little orphans. It's got everything. It's a great episode of Doctor Who. Like I say, it's not, it's not the most significant, but it's just... It, it's Doctor Who done right. Uh, in the modern era. I love it. Um, so there you go. And if anyone's curious where, where uh, at the moment, if you ask me today, I mean, tomorrow I may have a different answer for you, where I'm ranking Series 10 as a whole. For me, it comes just ahead of Series 4, but behind Series 9 and Series 5. Series 9 remains, I think, my favourite series of New Who in terms of what we discussed on, on this show today. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, all right then, Matt. I'm at the end of my notes, um, but it, you've got a little quiz for me, so I am told. Yeah. So it, it's just just it'll be a quick one, okay. just a bit of fun. Nice okay. Because you might remember in the last wrap up episode, yeah, we played what was our top ten episodes based on their titles. Oh uh, yes, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Okay, well, we're on episode 148 now. Uh-huh, yeah. So that, that means Jodie Whittaker will be 150, her first episode. Oh, it will. So That's what... fun, yeah. I hadn't think of, thought about so, that. So what I've done is gone up in tens. Okay. So there's 14 episodes. I'm going to give you the title to see if you can <sighs> guess. Oh, this is going to be awful. So it starts with episode one and jumps up to 11, blah de blah de blah Okay. Okay. So episode one's a bit of a gimme. Okay. We did this one when we did the top ten. Yeah. So number one, Wilson's and Wheelie Bins. It's Rose, obviously. Okay. Episode 11, Summations and Surprises. Would that be our first wrap-up episode? That is season one wrap-up. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Episode 21, Friendship and Flagstones. Is that Love and Monsters? You know it is. <laughs> okay. okay. Episode 31, Sewers and Swines. That's going to be... Uh, Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks. Correct. Daleks take Manhattan, Daleks Evolution take... of the Daleks. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Episode 41, Pals... And pot bellies. Oh, now this is trickier. Oh no, I think I've got it. Uh, is it uh, partners in crime? Partners in crime. Well done. Okay, the next one. This is one that came up when we played this last time. Okay. Episode fifty-one: holidays and hot air balloons. Okay. Ah, uh, so we're not quite. I was, I was in my head. I was thinking, "Oh, we'll be in Matt Smith now," but I don't think we're quite there yet. I think this is the next Doctor. It is the next Doctor. Yeah. 
There we go. Oh, you're on an absolute tear. Yeah? Episode sixty. I'm I'm just I'm not I'm not exactly crunching the numbers, but I'm aware that we're going chronologically. So yeah. I'm I'm just yeah. kind of trying to grasp onto that as we go. Episode sixty one: Plague Time and Pond Life. Okay. So we must be in Matt Smith now. Early Matt we... Smith. Plague Pond Life. That's not going to be like a pun on Amy Pond because we're more little than that. Um, plague. Because Plague Time, that makes me think of The Girl Who Waited, but that's series six, isn't it? Oh, this is the this is the first real stumper map. I don't think I'm going to get this one. No, put me out of uh, misery. W- would you like me to read the episode synopsis? Okay, let's see if it helps. <laughs> uh, hold on. Episode 61. Uh, this is such a giveaway. Okay. Imagine some vampires. Imagine the city of Venice. Put them together and what do you get? Vampires in Venice. There we go. Vampires yeah. of Venice. Okay. Episode 71. Mariners and Medics. Ah, oh, Curse of the Bloody Black Spot, isn't it? Curse of the Black Spot. Okay, episode 81, Festivities and Forests. Okay, Festivities and Forests. Um, oh, I'm struggling again. Right. Oh. <laughs> this is... Uh, I can't remember how much we discussed this, but this is from the synopsis. This is the episode where David casts aspersions on a national hero. <laughs> okay, well, I know... what would we You know what talking? that part is. Yeah, but we? I don't know what we'll be talking about. Um... If you want the rest of the synopsis, <laughs> Matt lays down the law on acceptable uses for a Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember... What's it got? Festivities right. and forests, because it's not in right. the forest of the night. Um, what What does the word? Fe- where does festivities take you? Uh, well, like parties, celebrations. Oh, oh, is it? Um, no, it's not a good man goes to war. I'm just no. Thinking, uh, no, I can't. I can't right. get it. You, I can't you, get it. No. You said parties. What's the biggest party of the year? Oh, right. Okay, it's a Doctor and Widow in the wardrobe. Yeah, Doctor the Witch and... I've put Doctor the Witch in the wardrobe. No, it's Doctor the Widow in the wardrobe. Yeah, but yeah. No, I don't right. I don't get a point for that one. 91. Networks and ne'er-do-wells. Ooh. Um, that would be... Uh, networks. I'm going to say Bells of St. John. Correct. Yeah. 101. Stalemates and send-offs. Um, send-offs. So that's going to be um, a companion departure. But then it feels too soon to be Clara's departure. So it can't be that. Now I'm stumped again. Just tell me. I can't I can't get it. Let me just find the synopsis. Um, just in case anyone else is playing along at home. 
Matt attempts to put the whole Robot Wars things behind us once and for all. <laughs> and by saying that, you've now brought it all back again. And probes the fandom hive mind on which Who-related hills they're willing to die on. Meanwhile, David gives us a brief rundown of the extra Who content he's been enjoying this week. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful. So we don't mention the episode at all in that summary. Uh, um, we we do, but I'm not reading that bit out. Okay, no, I'm not going to get it, Matt. You might as well just tell okay, me. Okay, it's the time of the Doctor. Time of the Doctor. What's the name so, of the episode? It's so stale. Makes it so... Of course, of course, it's not a companion departure. It's a Doctor departure. That makes perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm kicking myself. Right. Okay. Next one. Number one hundred and eleven: carriages and corpses. Okay, that's carriages. Uh, it's not going to be. I don't know. I'm going to say the woman, the the woman who lived, but I don't think it's that. No, Why am I doing it's... worse on the more recent ones? Okay. I think they, because they're getting more abstruse, aren't they? As we run out of words. <laughs> right. So, other than the episode, other topics include MOTs, tonsil swabbing. Japanese raccoon dogs and the inherent dubiousness of the Brummy accent. <laughs> no, that doesn't narrow it down one, one iota. Oh, if you enjoyed David's horrid mouth noises last week, you're in for a treat, dear listener. <laughs> okay, carriages. Where does the word carriages take you? We see that. You see, I was thinking like the, the highwayman, which is why I went woman who lived, but I don't. No, you, I'm not getting you've it. You've taken the wrong it. turn. It's Mummy on the Orient Express. Ah, right, yes, of course. Yeah, okay. Right, we're finally into this year with Warlords and Wraiths, episode 121. Okay, that's going to be... Before the Flood. It is. What about episode 131? Summaries and Speculation. So that would be our year, uh, our series nine. Uh, Correct. Wrap up. Yep. Okay, and the final one, episode hundred and forty-one: soldiers and scientists. So that's going to be uh, the uh, pyramid at the end of the world. It is. Yeah. Well done. You did pretty well there. Yeah. Not too bad. I got I really got lost in the Matt Smith era, though, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you ever regret our naming convention for our episodes? Oh, only every week, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's a struggle. I remember when I had to think of some, and it was a right nightmare. Yeah, no, it's always it's been down to me for like pretty much since the start of lockdown. But uh, yeah, I mean, thesaurus.com is bookmarked in <laughs> or every browser I I have at this point. Um, well, there you go, listeners. I think yeah. that that's enough navel gazing for one week, don't you think? Um, Join what us are we doing next week? Next week, uh, it's another classic Who detour. Uh, mm -hmm. We got, we had some amazing suggestions. Let me see if I, I'm just going to quickly uh, bring bring the tweet up uh, because I have this problem every time we get to the fourth Doctor, which is his era is massive. There are so many different directions you can go in, and. This and also last last time we did the fourth Doctor, I went with a fan favorite, not, mm -hmm. not necessarily a personal favorite, but like what I thought was just a 
a solid straight down the line kind of a choice and so and you and you didn't enjoy it like at all really <laughs> so that's made me very nervous and I, I i kind of really want a win at this point um and so i i asked our listeners for some suggestions for fourth doctor stories uh because you know it's just so hard to narrow it down. Cloisterbell Podcast recommended The Seeds of Doom. Said it's a favourite of theirs. It's a good one. Um, uh, Jake from Married to Who suggested a companion or TARDIS that he hasn't seen yet. Maybe a, a Romana story, which is a good good direction to go in. Um, Chris uh, at this emo trash suggested uh, the pirate planet Douglas Adams story absolute classic great fun uh, BT Flippity Gigger suggested uh, City of Death or Deadly Assassin uh, or or as he says uh, just go the whole hog and do Genesis of the Daleks all fantastic suggestions which I am ignoring <laughs> because uh, next week we're going to be watching the brain of Morbius okay. I'm not going to tell you anything about it uh, other than um, there, there are some ties back into stuff we've already seen, which I think you might appreciate. Because I know you, you quite like that aspect of um, watching the tent planet. Obviously, that paid off later for you. But in this case, we're, we're kind of looking back a bit instead. It's kind of okay. we're getting an introduction to something that we have actually subsequently seen in You Who. So, you know, um, I think you'll find it kind of interesting. Um, I hope you like How it. many episodes? Four episodes. I try to keep it to a maximum of four. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, hopefully our listeners, if you've never seen Brain of Morbius before, this is a great excuse to, to uh, dig out a copy from somewhere how, and watch how it. How far into that episode do you think you're going to be sick of my Tom Baker impression? <laughs> Fairly early, in all probability. Uh, my, my wife's already sick of it. I walk around the house just going... You know, I rather think you might. <laughs> He's just so much fun to do, though, isn't he? Yeah. And I hope you will have fun with this episode. Um, so do join us, listeners, next, next week for that. But until then, thank you so much, as always, for listening to us waffling on. Um, and, uh, yeah, until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.